I want to share with you the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because a lot of times that I have a, you know, these series in Ezekiel is kind of convicting, right? I mean, it, it kind of gets in your space, right? And, and unfortunately, there are some of us that have negative tapes playing in our head, whether it was because of our personality style or whether or not it was something we heard in our foundational years, right? Something negative. And that constant, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, that kind of stuff is not from the Lord. That is condemnation. And, and the Bible says that Satan's name means accuser, right? The one that's saying, I'm gonna speak to your worth and say you are not worth that. That is not from the Lord. And I just, I need you to understand that as you hear different things, challenges being thrown at you, that you would be able to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. The Holy Spirit's voice is the one that says, hey, kiddo, actually, that's not in alignment with me, and I, have, I made you for better. So, and they're inspiration thoughts that come in to say, man, I gotta, I gotta clear that up. I gotta make that adjustment. I gotta change that, right? As opposed to this whole, there's no point. I knew I was bad. Forget it. And, and so one of the things that we pray about on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings to get me out here and ready to go is we're praying that God would translate from my mouth to your ears that you would hear the message you need to hear, but there would be no interference from the enemy. Does that make sense? Because what I want you to do is I want you to hear it in the spirit that it's delivered. Are we supposed to be pushed towards growth? Yes. Is this a high challenge environment? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we are allowed to let our minds wander into condemnation. Does that make sense? Because that is not for God's kids. Now, where we're at in the series, we're in part four, uh, excuse me, part five of seven. And really, the arc kind of goes all the way down to here, and then next week shoots up into hope, which means you should have came next week. Right, but you came this week, right? All right, so as it comes down, we're gonna be talking about the final elements of what the challenge was in Israel in their darkest history, darkest point in their history, where God is bringing judgment on where the nation has fallen. What we're gonna find is even in the midst of that darkness, next week we're gonna find out he begins to even speak hope while they're on their way down. Why? Because God always seeks restoration. God always seeks reconciliation. God always seeks for someone to be built back up, right? So we're gonna learn about that impossible hope in just a moment, but I wanna talk as I draw your attention to the fill in the blank on some things that will make this message much more applicable much more personal, right? So let's talk for a moment about leadership. Back in the 90s, uh, the church kinda had, in my opinion, it was the Lord's nudging of the church, that there's a part of church life in the local church that is running things organizationally. And what they found out was they had been run poor for a really long time. 
And what we needed to do was learn how to grow up in leadership. So if you were in ministry in the 90s or the early 2000s, everything was about leadership that, leadership this, right? This leadership summit and this leadership conference. And all of it really blessed the church. Now at some point, we, a couple places, we'd get a little too far, right? We'd start treating things like they were a business and stuff like that. But we were able to rein those in. So in all my years, my formative years of pastoring, I kept hearing leadership, 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 right? Well, to the degree that I kind of got sick of it, and I was like, all right, I get it, I've heard it, and yet some of those axioms, some of those truths have really stuck in my head. So I'm gonna share two of them, and they're from the same kind of leadership guru guy, but I'm gonna share two of them to make a point. The first one is this. Have you heard this phrase? Everything rises and falls on leadership. Have you heard that phrase? Now, I believe in that statement in as long as there's a caveat that God is the greatest leader. Does that make sense? Everything rises and falls on leadership as long as God's in the scenario. And what that means is, is that if somebody asks me, hey, how come we don't have a ministry to whatever? Why don't you have this part of your church? My answer will probably be back to you, we don't have the leadership to support it. Because either it's going to make it or break it based on a good leadership. That leadership needs to be strong, that leadership needs to be consistent. If we just have something start and fall, you can always know if, if you start out in a new business, you start out a new church, you start out a new endeavor, you can look at the leadership of that person and figure out some of the ways it's gonna go, right? Because I truly believe that everything rises and falls on leadership. Why? Because they're the head that turns the body. They're the rudder that turns the ship. They have access to all of the resources. They're the visionaries, they're the mission setters. So if they're going south, everything's going south. Does that make sense? So leaders are very critical. The second axiom is this. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And what he meant by that was if someone is influenced by you, you are leading them in that regard. If someone's following you, you by definition are leading. It doesn't mean you're doing it great. It doesn't mean you want to do it. It just means you are doing it, right? Every one of us is a leader. Every one of us is a leader. Think of any areas in your life that someone is influenced by you, okay? So, for example, it could even be your friend group. If you do something and your other friends take that as a suggestion for their lives and they adjust, you are leading in that regard. So every single one of us is a leader. When I talk about leadership today, I need you to say, in the areas that I'm a leader, how am I doing? Am I leading like Jesus or am I not, right? Because here's the truth. As goes the teacher, so goes the classroom, right? As goes the parents, so goes the household. As goes the friend influencer, so goes the friend group. As goes the political representative, so goes the region. As goes the manager of the store, so goes the store. And the list goes on 
and on and on. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you or on the app if you're watching online is this. As goes the leader, so goes the followers. As goes the leader, so goes the followers. In James 3.1, the Bible says that those that teach the word of God incur a stricter judgment. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, it's one of the great reasons why I'm paranoid. Amen? <laughs> and the reason why is because people are making life decisions based on what I'm stating is God's opinion or God's word. If it is not, we're in a world of hurt. Does that make sense? So God does not allow you to just mess around. Anyone that is training from the word of God, you better make sure it is the word of God. You better make sure that it is something they can trustworthy listen to. You cannot go up here and share your own agenda, share your own opinion. That is unacceptable. And if you do call it out, you better make sure everyone knows it's your opinion so they can filter it and sift it and sort it. But if we're coming up here, the Bible says we must correctly handle the word of truth. And that is our job. That's why we put in so much effort. We are, in a sense, a gateway for some of God's truth. There can either be a pure message or there can be a distorted message, depending on our hearts, depending on our habits, right? So we take this very, very seriously. But God will hold every influential leader more accountable than the people that they lead. And I just need you to understand that you are those people. You are the leaders that are held more accountable than the people that you lead and guide. The reason why all of this matters is just as Jesus went after the religious leaders of his day. You guys remember, Jesus didn't seem to lay on, you know, in a attacking way. He never went after the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. As a matter of fact, that was kind of his crew. Who did he go after? The leaders. He went after the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the ones that were, in a sense, creating undue pressure on the people, and they were not exhibiting God clearly. So Jesus came in hot, he would use strong language with them. He would rebuke them publicly, but it was always the leadership. In that same way, when we go back into the Old Testament, into the series that we're studying in Ezekiel, you find out when God is judging the nation, he goes most hot at the leadership, right? Accountability always starts at the top. You always chase it back. How did we get here? What happened? Who allowed this to occur on their watch? You chase it all the way back up and that's where God's gonna hold them accountable. So if you're just joining our series, here's how the five parts have gone. First part, a prophet priest, man named Ezekiel, was taken by God up to see him in heaven. Changed his life. Second thing, he was given an assignment. You will be my mouthpiece to tell Israel this is not happening by accident. I'm your problem. I'm coming in with judgment upon my nation. The third week, we talked about the fact that God was gonna use him in the most bizarre living illustrations, and we've all been traumatized ever since, amen? 
all right? Now, number four was saying, if we took it as a whole, what was the problem in Israel? It was idolatry. It was serving other gods when they were built specifically to worship Yahweh alone. You find at the heart of all idolatry is selfishness. When you pursue your own ways, you start chasing after stuff that is contrary to God. And we started examining ourselves. So in this week, we have to say, who let it go this far? Right, because it's all about these responsibility pieces. If the, judge, if the nation is going to be judged, if they're going to be kicked out of their land, if their temple's going to be destroyed, if God's gonna hit the reset button, it must be pretty bad. So who let it get this bad? That's the leadership. So if you're a note taker, make sure you grab out your pad and pencil, whether or not it's a, uh, just you're writing on your phone, anywhere you wanna take notes. Uh, I'm gonna give you things that are numbered, and then I'm gonna give you things that are lettered, and good luck. <laughs> Makes sense in my mind. It's gonna come out, you're going, I'm sorry, is it number one? What is happening? Doesn't matter. It should look good on your sheet of paper, and if I screwed it up, we should blame someone else. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. So here we go, let's try to make this as simple as possible. There are three levels of leadership in Israel. Three levels, I'll give them to you very quickly and then we'll walk through them one by one. Governmental leaders is the first group, governmental leaders. Number two, spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders. Number three, tribal leaders. Tribal leaders, write those down. Now let's walk through them and we'll explain a little bit about what was going on. So let's talk about governmental leaders. In the day that Ezekiel lived, there were kings of Israel. Now they weren't effective. As a matter of fact, we know that the Babylonian Empire had already taken them over. By the time Ezekiel's talking and ministering, man, they already have firm control, but they left the leadership, the localized leadership of the Jews in place. Why? Because when you're trying to take over the known world, you don't need to put in all your own leadership who's gonna have to fight with everybody every day. All you need to do is make sure their king's in line, he kicks back money to you, he's your puppet. They've had puppet kings, and they would switch out over and over and over. So it's hard to tell who's the king at what time in this period of history because the nation was so weak, they would just flip them out whoever Babylon wanted to be king at the time. So instead of addressing the king, when God comes in hot, he talks to the princes. Now, there's no such thing as princes officially in Israel, but it means advisors to the king. It means the other governmental officials. If the king's a puppet, and we already know that guy's trash, what about everybody else that's in government? That is who is going to be spoken to. Now, what was wrong? Technically, anything that happens in the nation is really the king's responsibility. So, in a sense, all of it. But if we're gonna talk about as advisors, what were they doing wrong? They were giving him wicked counsel they were distorting justice for personal gain, and they were oppressing the people, taking advantage of the people. Now, does that sound good? No, it sounds terrible, right? 
And we're like, okay, so what do you mean? They would alter the outcomes of their court system because they had the power to do so. Hey, I want that land, I'll make sure it goes my way. I want that cash, I'll make sure it goes my way. If you kick back to me, I'll make sure the court goes your way. You have high-level government officials doing their own agendas, okay? Shall we talk about today's America? (laughs) Okay, now let's talk about government today here in this land, right? Now, on paper, our nation is a nation of representative leadership. That means we vote people in, right? There's a lot of it that's that way, all right? We call them civil servants. That's an interesting term. It means that they are designed to serve their people's best interest. Would you all agree with me? Isn't that the ideal? Yes. They are to put their personal needs on the back burner while they're in office to be a servant to the people. But here's the question. Are all of them doing that? No. Is there such things as kickbacks, bribes, power moves, influence, opportunities of wealth, and advancing their own agenda? Yeah, Yeah, all over the place. Okay, so what do we do about that? If indeed this is representative government, we're part of the problem. You understand? So how do we get good or godly Christian leaders into America's system? Is that even possible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Did you know that in April of this year, so we got a couple months to go, in April of this year, we're gonna do another Faith and Culture series. Now, in the past, we've done Faith and Culture series off different challenging topics. We've done LGBTQ, we've done racial justice, we've done supernatural, we do these different series. This year, in April, we wanna do something a little less controversial, so we're doing Christianity and American politics. (laughs) Now, now, understand that it's a four-week Sunday night series, you all are invited to it, I would encourage you to be there, And this is where people are like, I knew it! At some point, Bridgeway was going to show their cards that they're gonna talk about political agendas. Okay, you guys know us better than that. We are not partisan. We refuse to be involved in that type of debate. What we're gonna be talking about is the deeper issues. We're gonna be talking about what it is to be formed and discipled by God primarily and that we would be good citizens as a result. How do those dynamics work? How do we talk about politics without losing our reputation or our witness? How do we navigate a very complicated system? We are not interested in telling you what party this, party that. We're not interested in telling you about this candidate or this candidate. We're going way deeper than that, all right? So I just wanna encourage you, if that is something you would like to have some training in, We'll be doing that in April. Now, we can't do all of that here, so I'm gonna give you two things to consider as we move forward. How do we get good governmental leaders? Well, here's the first thought for you. You ready? You might wanna write this down. 
We need to want good leaders before we'll get good leaders. You're like, why wouldn't I want good leaders? Okay, well, I don't know. You answer me that, because here's what's interesting about it. We keep getting disappointed. So tell me what the problem is. Like, no matter who you've picked all the way through in the past, there's always been some type of disappointment. They weren't what I thought they were. They didn't handle it the way I thought they handled it. Okay, if something is a pattern, you should probably see what the main constant is, and it's us, right? So we need to want good leaders before we'll get good leaders. So number two, this is something to consider, we need to learn how to discern a good leader in the first place. We need to learn how to discern a good leader in the first place because unfortunately, a lot of times what is presented to us may not be exactly what it is. Does that make sense? So we gotta learn a little bit about how to find out what is godly and what is not, all right? Okay, so that's it for governmental leaders. God speaks to them briefly, but he's much more interested in the heart, in the spirit, so where all of his attention gets directed is this next two groups. Let's talk about spiritual leadership. That was category number two. If the first one's governmental, the second one is spiritual, and that has two groups in it, prophets and priests. Prophets and priests, we'll call that A and B, all right? Prophets and priests. Let's talk about the priests for a moment. That I'm not so sure we understand the priesthood of Israel, because that's just not something we normally talk about. So here's kind of how it works. Anybody remember how it began? We're gonna go all the way back to Moses, right? We're talking 10 Commandments guy, plagues in Egypt, all that stuff. Moses comes out, leads the nation out, and God says, I'm gonna set up the rules for our new nation. Moses' brother's name was what? Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. He was the first priest, so his lineage is very narrow family line that comes down through. Those are the priesthood. Now, Moses and Aaron were both family. They were in the same family clan, tribe. We find out later that kind of family tribe gathering are the Levites. They all come from Levi, so if it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Jacob had what? 12 sons, one of them was Levi, we find out that's their family. God said, I want that group always working for me. Everybody else, you can do your own thing, Levi's are mine. All Levites do temple stuff, only Aaron's line does priest stuff. You go, what's the difference? Priests can touch cool Indiana Jones boxes. <laughs> Levites can't. There you go. Priests do special fancy spiritual stuff. Levites do grunt work. They carry stuff. They move stuff. But here's what's interesting. God set down their job description at the very beginning. We're gonna do this type of sacrifice, we're gonna handle it like this, we're gonna do this ritual purification, we're gonna do these festivals, we're gonna handle Passover, and he gave them a booklet of exactly what their job is. And you go, well that doesn't seem to allow them an awful lot of 
like innovation. You're right, it doesn't. And you know why that's important? Because you're born a priest. It's not a calling, it's not a career, you're born that way. I want you to think about the one person in your life currently that you would never allow to run your business. All right, there you go. Now that person's a priest, because they were born a priest. There ain't nothing you can do about it. So in other words, it's awesome if grandma rocks. If grandson's a loser, you don't want him in the temple making decisions. What you need him to do is say, buddy, you got one job, do the book. Do the book exactly every single time. But if he doesn't take it seriously, what's going to happen? It's going to start falling apart, and that's ultimately what happened. They are high-level managers and implementers more than anything else. So what happened? Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 22? Ezekiel chapter 22, page 709 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. 709. Ezekiel 22, verse 26. God makes it very clear what the problem was. Ezekiel 22, 26. God said, her, meaning Israel's, Israel's priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between holy and common. Neither have they taught the difference between unclean and clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbath, so I am profaned among them. What did they do wrong? Their entire job. Like, it's not like they failed, like they tried and failed. They're not trying. They don't care. Is it possible? Now, this is making it very personal. Is it possible that you've been walking so long with the Lord, you no longer take it seriously? Boy, I've watched that fall into my life here and there. If I didn't have a bunch of safeguards, I would drift very quickly. Because when you're in something, you first get saved. Oh my goodness, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. What happens when forgiven and cleansed and grace is your norm? Then how do you feel about it? It goes from great news to good news to old news. Y'all tracking with me? So do we blame them? Oh, they're the bad guy. Hold on. If your job was not to innovate, you're data entry person. Your job is to do the same thing every day. You think you're gonna keep lit? You think you're gonna be all excited for the Lord? You think you're gonna do everything great? Maybe, maybe not. Ultimately, they gave up. They gave up their whole purpose. They stopped teaching the kosher laws. Are the kosher laws a big deal? Yeah, they are. Unclean, clean. And you're like, I don't understand those laws. Those are stupid. I love lobster. Because <laughs> that's on the bad list, the kosher bad list. And you're also like, the world revolves around bacon. Okay, on the bad list, right? So you're like, I never liked that system in the first place. Okay, clean food, unclean. What was the point? It was never that God's anti-pig. It was never God doesn't want you to eat bats. 
I'm sure they're yummy. What he's trying to say is there is sin and there is righteousness. There is good and there is bad. And like a child, I'm gonna have you do something tangibly in your life to understand the difference. Same thing happens with there are things that are holy and things that are regular. Don't take God for granted. There are certain things that are supposed to be honoring to his name. There are certain days, like the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath a big deal to the Jewish people? It should be. It should be. We're talking about every week. We're talking about Passover once a year. We're talking about a very serious thing because God says, you have to remember me. I'm gonna drift out of your mind because you're gonna get distracted. So I have things in your calendar that are always gonna tell you, I protected you, I provided for you, I'm the good guy. But they gave up all of that, and they weren't doing their job. As a matter of fact, they went beyond that. There were two other things that a passage highlights that are pretty severe. This is how bad it went. The priests allowed non-priests to work in the temple. That's a big no-no, okay? So remember I told you only Aaron Lyons allowed to do something and only the Levites are allowed to do something? They just let anybody do it because they didn't take it seriously, okay? There's a big problem to that. God even said there are some that are Levites, they are priests by blood, but they're not in their heart and I don't want them anywhere near my stuff. So get them out of there. But they also just had regular folks doing priestly work. You can't do that. That ruins the system. It ruins the illustration, right? Okay, great. Here's the other thing they did. It says, and they began to minister before pagan gods. What does that mean? Let's say, for example, a random person said, I wanna be into another god. I'm into the great armadillo. Now, what they said was, I'm actually gonna have an armadillo wedding. You're like, what does that mean? Are you gonna marry an armadillo? No, I'm gonna marry, but I want the great armadillo to look down upon us and smile upon us, right? I don't know if armadillos smile or not. That's not the point. So I'm going to get the only holy person I know, which is a Israelite Yahweh serving priest and say, will you do my armadillo wedding and pray to the great armadillo for me? For the right money, they would. When you start bending your beliefs based on money, when you start being Yahweh's primary people and start serving other gods, you're now out. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter nine, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter eight, God takes him on a vision tour of the temple. Now this is not a literal tour. He takes him in his mind on a temple tour to show him some stuff. And as he's zooming through the temple, he sees symbolically on all the walls of God's holy temple are all the other gods etched in stone all over the walls. He said, this 
is what they're doing. And he zooms them into this secret room and all the priests are worshiping the sun. And he said, do you see why we have a problem here? I can't even take my nation out of a nosedive because all the leaders have failed me. Who's supposed to turn it around? They're not doing it. Another one, he said, he took Ezekiel on a tour. Do you understand not everybody was bad? And I think this is sometimes we have to have these questions in our mind. You're taking a nation down, but what about the good guys, right? Because Ezekiel was a priest. He wasn't into any of this. What about the good guys? In Ezekiel 9, God lets him see. He grabs his angels. God grabs his warring angels, and he said, I'm gonna have you go in and slaughter these people. But before you do, you. Mark grabs an angel. Get over here. I want you to mark the foreheads of everybody that's on my team. Don't touch them. The whole point of that is saying God sees you. He sees your heart. And if what is happening around you breaks your heart, he knows you're with him. It's not like he's just sweeping you up with everybody else. God's very very specific. All right, so that was the priest. Let's talk about the prophets. The prophets were the supernatural group that allegedly heard from God and spoke for God. They were really hard to hold accountable. They're very slippery. What do I mean? Because this is how it would go. I predict and I prophesy that we will win the war tomorrow. They go in, they lose. And they're like, dude, you told us we were gonna win. He's like, what I meant was next year. We will win the war. Next year they lose. What I meant was next decade. We, and you're like, dude, you keep changing what you're saying. Well, they're bogus, but it's really hard to keep them accountable when they can just make stuff up, right? I believe there's a hurricane coming somewhere in the world. Oh, really, genius? Yeah, I would guess so, somewhere. All right, so what was their problem? Would you turn with me to Ezekiel 13? Back up a little bit, go to Ezekiel 13, verse one. Ezekiel 13, verse one. These prophets were also advisors to the king, so that carried extra weight. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. And say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to you foolish prophets who follow your own spirit. You've seen nothing. Verse six. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, but the Lord didn't send them. They expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered lies whenever you say, declares the Lord, when I haven't spoken? Verse 10, they have misled my people. This is back in the time when people didn't have Bibles. They had to listen to the prophets. And these prophets were lying. They would change their words based on money. If you gave them enough money, they would say good things were gonna happen to you when God said otherwise. When they didn't hear from God, they just made it up. 
How in the world is God not supposed to hold them accountable for that, right? You can't have that, it ruins the point. All right, so let's talk about church today. Do we have any problems in the Christian church of people handling things improperly? Oh my goodness. Man, we got all kinds of issues. We got the same problems. We got people doing stuff just for profit, changing their messages based on whatever's popular at the time. We have all kinds of issues. I'm probably part of the problem, right? Why? Because you end up realizing all this bias gets involved and people try to do things for good reasons, but it's misleading. What I'm telling you is that what we're looking at here is very dangerously close to home but God will hold us accountable. So how do we get good church leaders in America? How do we get the good guys in? How do we get the good ladies running things? Well, once again, you need to want the good ones first. Why wouldn't I want a good one? Okay, well, I don't know. Do you want a fancy church or a godly church? Because you actually need different leaders for those things. Do you want a country club or do you want discipleship? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to have to pick a leader that is sometimes going to tell you something you don't wanna hear, and that's not very popular. All right, that's challenging. The type of leadership you invest in will grow in influence. Around here at Bridgeway, I choose all my leaders character first. Then I'll handle everything else, right? Because what I need to know is when I'm not in the room, are they good? That's what I care about. Because if they're good, we're fine. Because anything they cannot do, the Holy Spirit will handle. Does that make sense? And that's what I need. All right, let's close it out with a third group. Tribal leadership. Tribal leadership. This is all grassroots leaders. This is heads of families, heads of clans. They would be called shepherds. The most influential of them were a formalized group called elders and they would advise different kings and leaders, right? So you have the general shepherds, you have the high-level elders. What was the problem with the high-level elders? God said it very clearly in Ezekiel 14. He said, they have allowed idols into their hearts. They're worshiping other gods. And he said, I have, from the beginning of your history, battled with you always wanting what all your neighbors have and it keeps turning your heart. Do we wanna make this personal? Is our culture affecting us? It is. What ultimately kept being the problem with Israel? They wanted what everybody else gets to do, and it kept making them compromise. So he said, that's the main problem. Now, I will tell you it got so extreme, and this is why God had to shut it down. Not only were they doing fertility rituals, and I'm talking about Israelites, I'm talking about in Israel, they set up fertility shrines to gods and goddesses that were worshiped by orgies. When you have that as your spiritual base of a a godly organization, a godly nation, we have a problem. But then it went even further. Some of their people had embraced a localized God by the name of Molech. Anybody know anything about Molech? Molech was worshiped by child sacrifice. You would burn children alive on his altar. 
how did Israel embrace that? Well, I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a group that influenced you to such a degree you ended up doing something you never thought you'd do? There you go. What we would call abhorrent, shockingly, if you're around the enough people that keep saying the same things and say it's okay and redesign it in your mind, suddenly it seems okay to you. That's the danger of influence. So what was wrong with the shepherds? This, in my mind, is the most powerful passage. Would you turn with me to Ezekiel 34.1? This is where we're gonna kind of land the plane here. Ezekiel 34.1. Shepherds in the ancient world were used for any level of leadership. If you look at like the Sumerian people or any of the ancient people groups, they would use the word shepherd for their king because they all lived in an agricultural place where they knew who's the one that cares for people. That would be a shepherd, right? Okay, so think local leadership. Ezekiel 34, 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, you have been feeding yourselves. Should you not, shepherds, feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them so they were scattered. What was the problem? Leadership was so selfish and hung up on their own issues they weren't doing their jobs. Is it easy to get distracted by your own issues? Yes. In fact, I would suggest that the majority of leadership problems in our lives today are because we're so hung up on our own stuff. We can't even see other people. When you're worried about your flaws and your insecurities, you certainly can't look out for other people. When you're so worried about how you look, you can't worry about other people. When you're so worried about your own finance, you can't worry about anybody else in need. When you're so blinded, do you understand what I'm saying? This is us. This is me. We must be the healthiest leaders we can be. It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. You're never gonna be perfect. You just have to be the healthiest you can be. Whenever we have unhealed points, points of insecurity, gaps in our goodness, sin in our lives, it bends our nature. We can't serve well if we're unhealthy. There is a Christian mandate to get healthy with whatever tools or miracles God provides. Otherwise, our pain and our dysfunction pours out on other people. Understand this. Whatever our issues are, whatever our blind spots are, whatever our distraction is, whatever our selfish level is, hear this. Everyone on this planet is the Lord's precious person. I need you to hear this. 
It's people you don't like, it's people you don't understand, all that is what I'm talking about. Everyone is the Lord's precious person. They are made in his image, they bear his mark, they are his property. Whatever we do to them, Matthew 25 says we are doing to Jesus. However we treat people, we do not get to treat other people any way we want. We treat them the way the Lord wants to treat them because they're not ours to abuse. We will be held accountable for how we parent. We will be account held accountable about how we treat the server at the restaurant. We will be held accountable for every way we treat people. And this is where I'm just gonna make it a little bit heavy here, and I want you to listen through the lens of conviction, not through the lens of condemnation. But one of the greatest places of leadership on this planet is our children and how we lead our children. And too many of us have had the mindset that we can lead the children as if they're here for us. They are not. You chose to have them. They didn't ask to be in this world. That means you put you on the back burner and you give them what they need to survive and to thrive. We protect our children. We provide for our children. That's what we do. Because it's sending them spiraling and then they end up acting out. Then they can't focus on other people because they have issues that we caused. So if we are too locked up in our own issues, oh, mom has these too many problems, dad has too much workaholism, I can't possibly be present with my children, it's not right. Now understand, you think I'm not busy, you think I don't have to wrestle with this stuff? You wanna talk about justification, what do I do for a living? I serve people, I help people. If anyone has a justification to not be emotionally present for their children, I have one, and that does not let me off the hook. God will hold me accountable for me being emotionally present with my children. It's never convenient because it's not supposed to be on our timetable, it's on their timetable. So if we're gonna talk about leadership, I need you to think through how you're influencing your friends. Oh, I'm always the one that instigates the bad stuff. I'm always the one that brings the booze. I'm always the one. Let me just ask you a question. Why are you that one? That's kind of my role. You let that happen. Knock it off. At what point do we become something that is a blessing? At what point do we come a, become one of those that lead people higher, healthier, and not the ones that are constantly instigating that which would hurt them. Do we or do we not love the people we serve? And if we do, it means we have to change some things, right? And I get it. Boy, it's easy to go, I'm not a good parent, I'll never be a good parent, woe is me, forget it. Stop that tape in your head. You can't change the past. You can change today, and you can change the future. Let's do that. Let's focus on what we can do, not what we can't. Let's focus not only on the failures, if we can't learn from them, we just throw them away. We need to focus on what we can do. God will never give you a command that he will not empower you to do. 
and he has given you a command to love the people under your care. You do have the ability. You will get the strength. You will have more energy. It's all about management. And I truly believe we've got this. I truly believe that the Lord can guide us and we can be better leaders in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Let's get out of here. Once again, I wanna encourage you that as we, yeah, praise God, as, <laughs> as we get out of here, amen, amen. As we get out of here, uh, I, want, I want you to know, and this is a beautiful opportunity to bring your friends and family that need some hope, maybe that uh, have made some mess of their lives and, and they just need to know that God still loves them. This next message coming in this week is we turn this beautiful corner of talking about how God can have hope for us when we're really not worthy of it and really soaking in that. But for right now, here's my prayer for us. As we walk out of here, we would be able to focus on God's empowerment to be able to make us the people that lead well, okay? That's what I want in your heart as we leave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would anoint the front up here as our prayer team comes forward that, Lord, there would be greater breakthrough here. Lord, as you have stirred up things in our heart, maybe some of us utilize some prayer breakthrough in our lives. God, there's some of us as parents, we needed to hear the message, and there's some of us that are already doubting ourselves, and we instantly collapse under the weight of responsibility. God, I pray that you would give those that need encouragement, encouragement, those that need conviction, conviction. God, may we be the people that walk out of here and we know that we walk with you. Lord, that we may not be daunted by what is in front of us, but we would know that with your power we can rise above it, we can handle it, and Lord, that we can be good in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful weekend.